Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckners? What the fucking knots? How, whatever you want to be called to you there, there, come on, talk. I'm in my hotel room. It's been a rough South by Southwest. Well, not that rough, but I just end up staying up late, talking to comics. I'm here in Austin, Texas. I'm here to do a live show and do a few stand-up shows at the huge interactive festival and music festival that is South by Southwest. And I'll be honest with you, I'm learning something about myself. I'm learning, well, I actually knew this. I do not like waiting online. I do not like standing in crowds. I don't like going to shows that are too crowded. I don't like parties that are really crowded. I don't like waiting to get online to just about anything. And it's not because I hate people. It's just I'm too anxious to fucking deal with it. And then once I get inside, I don't even know what I'm doing there. Uh, So ultimately, I just end up hanging out with friends and not doing much of anything. But that's all right. I don't understand a lot of interactive things. I know there's a lot of big business going on that has to do with, uh, with the uh, numbers of people downloading things and how many people you can get their eyes on something and what, uh, you know, and, and big ideas about social networking. I did a panel about social networking in comedy. Uh, I have no idea. I barely know how to upload this show. I, have, I just, I don't have a clue. I was asked about my podcast and its relationship to technology and I told them that, uh, well, gen- well I, put two- I do it in my garage. I have uh, two locks on the garage door, both of them master locks uh, that I need a key to get into. And I just, f- I-, I hope that if somebody wanted to break into the garage, that that would be too many locks. That they'd be like, oh, fuck, there's two of them. And that's, uh, that's the technology I'm familiar with. Obviously, I know a little more than that. I am recording this in my hotel room. I am packed with um, barbecue. There's some part of me that thinks that if I'm away from home, I can eat whatever the fuck I want, that it's some sort of different planet, that it's okay for me to do this, and it's not. I'm in the room. I'm sweating meat. Uh, I'm not happy about it, but it was fucking great, man. I mean, it was seriously awesome. I'm just happy I'm not going to be here during the music festival because then it just becomes a parade of drunkenness I, I cannot handle. What else do I want to tell you? I'm a big, sh- I'm a big fan of the, uh, of the show Mad Men. And I always heard that John Hamm was a big comedy guy, that he hung out at comedy clubs, he enjoyed comedy. I never met him. So part of me was thinking like, well, does he know me? Because I know him. I watch him on television. Does he know me? So that was sort of in the back of my brain somewhere. And I went to this little bar with a few other comics, and I'm walking out, and uh, Eugene Merman's walking in with a few dudes. Some dude you know, walks up to me and says, wow, I, I've been listening. I listened to you the entire flight over here. And I look up. It's John Hamm. And I said, oh, well, thanks, man. He goes, yeah, I love the show. And I'm, you know, I'm just trying to act cool, you know, because in my mind, I'm like thinking like, oh, it's a guy from the fuck, man. John Hamm, Don Draper. Are you fucking kidding me? But I said, uh, well, that's cool, man. Would you have uh, any interest in uh, maybe doing the show? He's like, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to do the show. And in my mind, I'm going, oh, shit. I'm talking to fucking John Hamm. God damn it. This is incredible. But I said, oh, well, maybe uh, we could work that out. I'd love to have you come over and we'll talk. And he's like, yeah, let's work it out. All right, see you later, man. And, and then I went outside the bar and uh, you know, I jumped up and down and did some sort of silly dance. Because that's how I maintain my cool. 
is that it's fine to act cool, but you've got to experience the excitement somewhere because quite honestly, internalized excitement can cause cancer. It's, it's a little bit funner cancer than internalized anger, but it is cancer nonetheless. So please, if I can say anything to you today, uh, don't internalize your excitement. Uh, try to get it out somewhere. If it's not appropriate to be excited in the moment that you're involved in that is causing the excitement and you're forced to compress your excitement into some semblance of keeping your shit together or being cool, that's fine. But make sure you take a little time aside to, you know, to run around, jump up and down, go, I can't fucking believe it. And, you know, maybe uh, say that out loud so other people look at you and then you get to experience uh, displaced excitement followed by slight embarrassment. But those things are freeing. I'm just saying that if you don't experience your excitement in the moment, don't internalize it, cancerous. And externalize it in public because then it's embarrassing and then you get to have your excitement in an appropriate way but also feel the humility of... Uh, of being embarrassed, which I, I think is a great combination. Excitement followed by embarrassment. Um, yeah, that's my, you know, th that's happened to many of us, I think, in, in, in our sex lives probably. But that's natural too. That's what keeps us human, being embarrassed and being excited inappropriately. Is that enough? Was that any wisdom that I just improvised? Could that work? Today's show, Tom Rhodes, dear friend of mine. I've known him for years. Uh, great comedian, definitely a, a journeyman comic to the point where it, we, it was rumored that Tom did not have a place to live uh, voluntarily living in his car as he, he peddled his jokes across this great country of ours. But also he, he does a lot of international work. Tom is an international comic and he's got some interesting stories. So uh, let's go to the garage now. I will be busy here uh, digesting barbecue and digesting the fact that uh, you know, John Hamm is a fan of my show. Am I being uncool right now? Why am I so available, dude? Tom Rhodes in the garage. You got a lot going on, Mark. No, but I mean, but even, you're in a heavy conference call when I get over. A heavy, but but even is this just for show? Like, so you think? So I think you got a lot going on in your career. Yeah, that's all I want to do <laughs> is teach you a fucking lesson, Rhodes. You know what I mean? Because I remember, oh, it's Conan is calling again. They oh. want to go over the set. Let me refresh your memory. Mark Marin, New York City, probably 1995, 96, trying to get by with this woman I'm living with, living down on the 16th Street, 3rd Avenue. It was a nice place. I've been uh, hosting a show, but I wasn't hosting then. Rhodes pops into town on the, on the wave of Mr. Rhodes. <laughs> Not if it was 95. That came on in 96. So that so must have been right before. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Oh, right. Maybe it was just when it was starting. Okay. And you're like, uh, you come over, you're like, uh, you got any weed, man? I'm like, <laughs> I don't get it. Mr. Rhodes doesn't have any weed. <laughs> I think Mr. Rhodes would have some good weed. And then we sat yeah, down. Yeah, you were fun back then, Mark. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> then we, uh, we sat down and talked, and you were uh, telling me how great everything was. You remember that? Yeah, things were okay. That must have been the two-month window things were going good a two-month window before <laughs> panic set in but you're alive dude i'm alive what so you what do you want to jump in and talk about the sitcom or what do you want to talk about no no i don't want to jump in and talk about the sitcom. me it's, neither it's, it's great to see you it's like you know hey um let's talk to the rape victim about the rape that well no but there's a part of it it's just what's interesting to me was that um is that you know we all go through shit 
and I've never known anyone to stop. Do you know what I mean? Like that I've known a lot of cats that have, you know, had successes. We've all had good jobs. You know, some of us have had deals. Some of us have this. Some of us have had, had larger failures than others. But, you know, there's really nothing you can do but go back to the fucking crawl back up on stage and go, how's everybody doing tonight? Yeah, but as I crawl back, it's like you gave it up. I always hated comics that something big happens for them and then they give up stand-up because it never meant anything to them. Do they? But who did that? Did someone mm, do that? I'm not mentioning any names. But I know, but it's But like, I mean, I never stopped doing stand-up. I know. I, I, and the sitcom was like six months of my life. You know, it's amazing, you know, how much that affected me when you think about it. It wasn't that much time. But the thing that fascinates me about you is... Um, you're the kind of guy, there's people in this business I've known for fucking 20 years. We could tell the story about the cocaine later. Um, <laughs> I met you in San Francisco. <laughs> You're originally from Florida, right? Yes. And you were like, you had your long hair and you had your stick. You had a definite way of doing things. You had your own style. And you had great jokes. And you were definitely a force to be reckoned with. And then there was a period there where it's like, where's Tom? And everyone's like, I don't know, man. I think he might be, I think he's doing a TV show on the moon. I, or I think he's in, <laughs> I think Tom's in Vietnam. But I remember like, <laughs> you were in Vietnam, right? Yeah, yeah. I did a, um, when I was, when Comedy Central started, I was like their dude, their poster I boy. know, I was jealous that? at you. because And I, it was so yeah. great because uh, they were starting out. They didn't have you know, these signature shows like South Park and, you know, Politically Incorrect yet and The Daily Show. So it was really like being a junior filmmaker. I could do whatever I wanted. They loved me. Right. And um, Vietnam had just opened up, and my father had served there, uh, had been shot down in a helicopter and saved a guy's life, whatever. So um, Whatever, that's pretty big. It was huge. So yeah. I wanted to, uh, it had just opened up for Americans to travel there. Right. And I said, what about going to Vietnam and having fun for all the guys who didn't get to have fun? <laughs> and they thought it was a highly promotable Or idea. a healthier kind of fun. Yeah, and I did some really cool things. Like I, I did the we we had to run a cable like two blocks to set up these TVs in a park, and we got in Hanoi. We got these women to do uh, the Jane Fonda workout tape. They were doing like the um, the Tai Chi, and so we set up these TVs, and they they're doing the Jane Fonda workout tape. It was did great. they like it? They loved it. Right, you were kind of like at that time because I was at Comedy Central. I think around that time or, or a little after. Yeah, you were hosting uh, uh, Short Attention Span Theater. Yeah. And I was actually jealous of you because they were kind of using you to brand the thing, like you, like how Dennis Leary did MTV. They were kind of using you to do these short thirty, you know, those thirty second pieces. Yeah, that that were image pieces. And I was like, I want a fucking image piece. Where's my image piece? I was such a little bitch, and uh, they gave me one. But uh, I think you <laughs> see, on. squeaky wheel gets the grease. I, I, I was a, I was a quite a squeaky wheel. <laughs> For, I mean, yeah, I should call my entire first half of my career that. But you went to Vietnam. But the the, the part that interests me is that you're always a, you know a big comic on you know and in uh, in doing a lot of work on the road and stuff. But you literally were the only guy I knew. You know, I, I, going abroad always scared me. But you literally moved to fucking Amsterdam. Yes. And I, I, I think, you know, you would be adored worldwide. So it's um, getting better. It's, it's my own problem. I assume they're not going to like me. The world will not like me. I know. I know. Um, but yeah, I and a lot of people ask me, you know, uh, how, how I did it. It's London is the key to everything. Once you crack London, it leads to all these other gigs in Europe. And I got in with the comedy store in London, which I still think is the 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 highest euphoria you could feel above sex and drugs to stand there flat-footed gripping the microphone and just rip the balls off the place and um 
Yeah, and all these tours in Asia and all over the world are all you, booked out of London. When you made that decision, though, were were you were you done with the U.S.? Not as a country, obviously, you're a good American and whatnot. But I mean, had you felt like you know I dried up here? No, it was a. Uh, it's um, you know I'll have to explain a few. A uh, series of events that happened. Um, we got to go back, way back. Let's do it. When I was 20, I, I moved to New York City. Uh, you were living down by Wall Street. I was living... No, 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 no. That was the second time. That was the second time. When I was 20, I moved to New York, and I lived there. It was the worst year of my life. I lived in Washington Heights like a dog. And I always swore that if I ever had any money, I would, you know, move back to New York with style. So, anyway... Um, I moved in San Francisco, you know, that's er, early twenties. That's when we met, and then you know, I got hot after a while, and after the Comedy Central stuff, I got the sitcom and Mr. Rhodes. Yeah, so um, all these things happened. The show was a disappointment. Disappointment. It started out good. Um, they but, had like, but wasn't it one of those things like, you know, I'm not going to pry or, or, or interrupt, but I mean, like, cause I knew you pretty well and, you know, we'd spent time together. We were in the same crew and we, you know, we'd hung out and then there was this, like, it was one of those situations where the, the network said, you know, I can see what this guy is. And they gave you the fish out of water show. You're Mr. Rose. Note to comedians, fish out of water die. <laughs> if anyone says, Hey, I've got a fish out of water thing for you. Just remember that fish need water. But but I felt I, my heart went out to you I, I, even above my jealousy of you at the time, which was um, well, you, you got you know you got laid with that thing that happens sometimes. It's like well he can't, he can't carry the show, so there you were. You shot you know you shot all these shows. You're with the kids. Well, I should have stuck to my guns. My original idea was I wanted to be a public defender lawyer, right? The voice of the voiceless, right? You know? yeah. And I thought it would be like Barney Miller where. Um, you know, the dregs of society and then, you know, lots of uh, reoccurring guest characters. Yeah. So somewhere in the development process, NBC said, we just had a lawyer show fail. Can you make Tom a teacher? Mm. In retrospect, we've never done that same year. There was like four or five teacher shows. Somebody knew. Right. So I was screwed for not sticking with my guns. But um, after the episode three, it became all about the kids. Right. So um, you were barely in it. You were like, yeah, I felt like the second banana on my own show. Right. It was just all these bad hair jokes because I had long, hey, Fabio, and you need some cream rinse. And it was now, just, was that, now, where's that just killing you? It was killing me, yeah. And I, mean, I, I, think- and I made a truckload of money, and I'm living in the Hollywood Hills um, with this beautiful actress. And, uh, you know, all we did was walk around naked drinking wine from goblets. Did you really? But the show, <laughs> yeah. pretty much, yeah. The show <laughs> ended, and then uh, me and the actress started having problems and um breaking goblets (laughs) yeah i don't know it was weird uh we it's uh, i don't know how much to divulge to the world who's listening but go um, ahead i mean it's old news but i mean it it is old news but so the show ended and then whatever uh actress girl we break up and we're having problems uh she got pregnant i asked her to have the kid she ended up aborting it that kind of fucked me up more than the sitcom Uh uh-huh and I had all this money, and I was angry at humanity, and I moved to New York City. I remember. And I got a rock star apartment in the Wall Street area. Yeah, it was nice. It was fantastic. I was yeah. three blocks in the World Trade Center, yeah. right at the entrance of Wall Street. And um, I just was, I was partying so hard when I lived in New York that uh, I actually moved to Amsterdam to bring it down a notch. <laughs> I got to just stick with pot. So <laughs> I started, you know, that's, that's the time I started going over to London, and I started doing these other gigs. In, so it was actually in, for self-preservation. Yes, and so I, I started doing gigs in Holland, and I fell in love with a Dutch girl. Right. And she was from, like, a little town in the north of Holland and made me love life again and laugh again, and I said, fuck America, I'm moving to Holland. Right. And so I was doing the European circuits a lot, still coming over here to my favorite clubs. Mm-hmm. 
And um, that's basically how it happened. But I, th- th- that relationship didn't work out. And then these people saw me in a club and they offered me a late night talk show. In Holland. In Amsterdam. Now, were, were, weren't you a little apprehensive? Were you like, but I don't speak, I mean. No, are you kidding? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is, let's go for it. Um, because, um, it, it, you know, I grew up watching Carson. And to be the guy coming out from behind the curtain in the two, $3,000 suit, yeah. standing on the X, doing the five-minute monologue, yeah. it was, I couldn't believe I was, you know, doing that. But it was in Holland. In Holland. And you were, you were I imagine, dealing with uh, Dutch celebrities. It was all Dutch celebrities mostly, and I didn't know who they were, and that was like kind of where the humor was, is that I was I was unimpressed with their, you know. You're showing clips from movies? And it was really like kind of a dollhouse version of American showbiz, because everybody was explained to me, okay, this is the Howard Stern of Holland. This yeah, is right, the right. Pamela Anderson of Holland. But they're you know? all a lot nicer, I imagine, than the actual American personalities. They yeah, were, some, right? some weren't, you know. Uh-huh. I mean, and, and this was a nightly show? No, it was on once a week. Okay. And the first year was a little clunky because you know, nobody starts out a good interviewer. Um, and you got to remember when you're hosting a show, you got to keep throwing it back to camera one to talk to the people at home. Like as a comedian, you work the audience and it feels natural. When you look people in the eyes, words come out of your mouth naturally when you look right. people in the face. So television hosting a show is the opposite. You got to focus on this black hole yeah. on camera one. Right. So um, in order to let me remember that, they let me, I cut out uh, Muhammad Ali's head and put it above. <laughs> no, you did I did. I had a little little cut out of his head <laughs> above camera one. So you were talking So I would always to... look over to, I, the first season I was talking to Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Does anyone know that? But you Only the people that worked on the show. So you didn't open every monologue like, you're the champ. You're the <laughs> Ali champ. Bumaye. Yeah. Ali Bumaye. <laughs> but it was good. The, my favorite aspect of the show was every episode I got to uh, make a five-minute film where I would experience something of Dutch culture. Uh-huh. Like one day I spent with a Dutch farmer and I walked into an electric fence. He said, look out for the electric fence in Dutch. I don't speak Dutch. I got electrocuted. Womp womp. Yeah. <laughs> when, when it's real, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Did you really get electrocuted? Yeah, yeah, totally. It hurt like shit. Was it off camera? No, it was on camera. They Were got you, it all. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm wearing wooden shoes. Did and... you pee yourself or anything? No, 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 no right. it wasn't that bad. Okay. But uh, I got to cover the prime minister debates. You know, like I couldn't meet the governor of my own state so the, the, in the it, United States. And here I'm talking to the prime minister in Holland. It's, so essentially you got this education. Yeah, and I had this magic passport to the Netherlands. I think even a lot of Dutch people don't get to experience all these things that I got to experience. Right. Well, that's fucking awesome. So you did that for how many years? A year? I did that for three seasons. So and then and the same network let me uh, be a presenter on a travel program. And you did that for a season? Yeah, so I was on TV for three years in Holland. Now, when you go back to Holland now, are people like, oh, Rhodes? Those people, are, they're not, they don't freak out. Like, I mean, I saw Lenny Kravitz walking down the street once in Holland, and people yeah. were like, hey. Yeah. We they don't give a shit. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> it's, well, he, people here try not to, except for Dunn. Well, I guess so. his last couple of records weren't that good. Maybe <laughs> I could have used that a better. <laughs> Seems like Ben Harper has now stepped in to fill the void of really I saw Ben Harper in Rome last year. And now were they running uh, up to him? Well, I mean, I saw him in a concert. It was for Earth Day. Oh, yeah? He's pretty good. He's amazing. There's I, there's a couple Lenny Kravitz songs I listen to still. I actually listened to one yesterday, to, believe it or not. I mean, he you know he had some good hooks. He Let, did. Lo- I liked Lenny. Let Love Rule was a good song. and That uh, whole album was fantastic. It was. Mr. And, Cab Driver, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. I'm a survivor. <laughs> and uh, Fly Away, I like. 
Great just, song. Dun, 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 oh, that guitar riff is amazing. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I'm a sucker for like that kind of three chord fucking big yeah. dick rock and roll, baby. Yeah, I like it, dude. I do too. I do credit you for saying it, probably two or three of the most profound things in the world. That like there, I mean, I you, you and I've been around a long time. We've been in a lot of places, but I remember that there there are stories I tell about you that I still tell. That the <laughs> the the one uh, that 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 I really loved was. Um, yeah, you know, we had had a conversation at the Aspen Comedy Festival, 1995. I mean, it was a long time ago. What a memory you have! And uh, it's okay; it's selective, but it's okay. But I remember, you know, you were, you know, you were a known item, and I was like, you know, I was there on Comedy Central's dime, you know, sticking mics in people's faces, which to me was, you know, it, you know, I did it, and I, I can do it, but I, I, I felt it to be humiliating because not unlike you, I'm like, dude, I got a voice, man. I mean something, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, there's Dick Cavett. Go talk to Dick Cavett. Which would Dick Cavett was a good one, but when I had to talk to. Uh, uh, who was some other examples? Well, I had a, yeah, I did a, a shtick with Carrot Top, whatever you know what I'm saying. It's beginning of my career, and I, you know, and they gave me sets, you know, and, and you and I had, had a conversation about uh, you being a, a Christian, you know, and uh, and I don't know how that conversation came about, but knowing me, it was probably you know aggressive and whatever the fuck it was. But I remember um, no, because we were always friends. We've been friends for years at that point, and you always gave me shit about being a Christian. Yeah, I don't do that anymore. But uh, I haven't taken Christ into my heart, but I, I understand it. Uh, so I, what, what happened was, I, par for the course, I was freaking out before I went on stage. You know, Kathy Griffin had gone on and she had taken her shirt off and I was mad about that, even though she said it was just, you know, it was, it was, it was for the joke. It was a joke about that thing. You know, I just saw it as like, you got to take your tits out. And I was aggravated. And for some reason, I go up to you and I was freaking out. And, uh, and I'm like, I think I said something along the lines of like, this is going to suck. And then I said to you, I said, but I guess it'd be different if I had Jesus on my side. That's now I remember that. What right. And they, and they, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. I totally remember that. But now. then you looked at me and you said the most brilliant thing. You go, you do. <laughs> That's hilarious. He, he's there for everybody, man. That was a good one. That was a great Tom Rhodes. I was a little more earnest then. I think, you know, I mean, I've certainly. But then there was the other thing you said that I, I actually told you was the, one of the best. I mean, I'm not you... like some lunatic, you know. Let's... No. No, I mean, you, you, you just believe in Jesus. I mean, you know, you're brought up with it and you believe it. I mean, it's not unusual. I don't believe all of the weird shit no, 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 and the but, Jonah but, and the whale and all that. No, but it works for you. Shit. You're, you're, I think there was a cool guy named Jesus. And uh, <laughs> you're a literal. You're not a literalist. You believe in the idea of Christ. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. But, but then the other thing you said to me, which was what, that you, that I told you at that time, it was years ago, where you told me that like hell was invented to make stupid people. Oh yeah, right. I have to, and I thank you for that forever because. I said that was a genius. line that I had written, and it was one of those things like when you, you you do a line and you love it, and it just fails every time. You finally give up on it, right? The joke never worked, and you always like there was a period when I'd see you for a couple years, like you still doing that line, yeah, you yeah, still yeah. doing that line, yeah. And then I, and I dropped it, and so from your encouragement, I brought it back, yeah. And that is a and that is how I feel. I think hell was a concept how created. To get dumb people to act right. Yeah. How's it work now? At least that's what I'm counting on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how you tagged it. Yeah. And how's it work? Well, it's good. I, you know, I did it on my last special and it yeah, I don't do it anymore, but. But um, it was good, right? You killed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a brilliant line and I have to thank you for telling me to stick with it. I'm, well, I'm glad I did. And then the other moment, of course, is the, uh, the classic moment of, uh, <laughs> 
was that night where I, I got all that coke and I'm like, you know, and I fucking dragged you out to do some coke and we're sitting there in that park over by your house. I dragged you out of your house to do coke with me. And then like, you know, literally we get out to the park and the sun's about to come up and I'm like, you know, a half hour in, I'm like, I gotta go home. It's a classic story, man. And I, it's funny because I knew we were going to talk about this today. Uh, and I haven't told the story in years. How do you tell it? Because, uh, you know, you've, you've cleaned up, you've done really well for yourself. Yeah. You know, if, um, if you'd have just remained, you know, fuck up guy, it would have been, you know, oh yeah, that's, story. that's when the guy lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you pulled yourself out of the hole. We're living in San Francisco and I have to paint the picture. Yeah. You know, uh, it was one of the happiest times of my life. I didn't. I, I was a late, I didn't even, I didn't do cocaine really until that period after the sitcom when I moved to New York and that's when I was riding off the rails on the crazy train Yeah, and uh, did shit that I thought I would never do. Yeah. Uh, just like, you know, tons of blow or whatever. But in that period, when I moved to San Francisco, I was like with the greatest love of my young adult life. She was great. Uh, what was her name? Natalie. Again? Yeah. We both was... had wonderful women then. Yeah. And uh, she was from Paris. She was French, and I'm living with her. Worked for the airline or something? Uh, no, she was like a concierge. Oh, concierge, yeah. And a yeah. uh, wonderful person. I lived on Alamo Square Park. That's great. Beautiful apartment with bay windows looking the, over the park. Yeah, it's great. And you and I were, you know, we hadn't been friends that long, maybe like a year. Yeah. And you were still partying hardcore. And you come over to my house, and you're like, dude, you got you to gotta come and talk to me. You got to come. And I'm like, come on up. Mark, uh, yeah. my girl will make some tea. Yeah, and yeah. We'll sit at the kitchen table. <laughs> and you're like, no, fuck that, man. Come on, you got to come outside. You got to come outside. And you were just, you were a wreck. <laughs> and you're all sweaty and nervous. And you didn't have Coke. You had, um, it was like crank. Oh, speed. Like this nasty trucker yeah. gunk speed yeah. predecessor to, yeah. you know. Whatever's what it, now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the cleaner and, stuff. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was definitely made with products because uh, cocaine isn't yellow and smell like gasoline. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> according to the guidebook. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. So, you, so, we, so I come out and uh, we sit on, and the Alamo Square, Square Park is so beautiful in San Francisco and we're looking out on the city. Well, have we done the improv that night? I think we had work together, right. but, but you came over to my house because it was a surprise that you came over. Right. Because you came over, you know, like a dude seeking shelter and yeah, a storm. Yeah, because I never, like, I, I was not a speed guy, and I remember there was, like, one or two weeks there where somehow I got hold of someone. I remember doing, like, not being able to sweep and then doing a spot at the improv, and you know when you're, like, gacked up, like, you're wide open, you've got no emotional control or anything, and you're just like, ah! And I just remember, like, fucking making a horrible ass of myself on stage with it, and then I, I think I came over to your house. You came to my house, and so you're like, you got to come out and talk to me. And so we go out and we sit in Alamo Square Park and we sat there for hours. Yeah. And I'm talking to you and, you know, you're even sober, you know, you can be somewhat of a ham handful, but yeah. it's <laughs> you on cheap trucker crank yeah. was like uh, so much. And I'm, you know, and I'm just being, you know, the good friend for you. And you keep going, come on, Rhodes, just do a little bit. Yeah. Just do a little bit. And I'm like, no, man, I don't, you know, I'm going to go sleep next to my girl in a little bit. <laughs> no, I don't, you know, I don't want to do it. <laughs> and so, like, the whole night, you're going, come on, Ruth, just a little bit, just a little bit. And then finally, after we sat there for a couple hours, um, you broke me down, and I finally went, okay, I'll do a little bit. And I, I do a, a little of this nasty trucker speed that just exploded on the top of my nostrils into my brain. And then, you know, like, it was, it was like the perfect comedy beat, and you go, all right, man, I got to go. <laughs> and you fucking left me. So there now I am, all sweaty and nervous, sitting in the park in San Francisco by myself, and I don't have a friend to talk to <laughs> after I was there with you for hours. And then 
the next time I saw you, and it's the classic line that I, I told that's you. That's right. I said, yeah, that's right. I said, uh, I said, you know, Mark, you're the kind of guy, if you were drowning yeah. and somebody swam out to save you, you, instead of letting them save you, you would pull them down with you. <laughs> and for some reason, I've repeated that line as a, a fairly valid description of who I was at that time. That's who you were at the time. But you know what? I have to say, you did the sweetest gesture, and this is the, it's the Mark Marin pendulum of... Um, selfishness to niceness. You you brought because we both loved the blues and we really identified uh, with you know guitar player gods and things. Yeah. You brought me and I still have it. This VHS video of Lightning Hopkins, who was because he was my favorite blues right. guy of all right. time, still is. And it was like I don't know where it was recorded. It's like a half hour of him in a TV studio. It's black and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he is ripping the yeah. balls off of this this acoustic guitar. And it's still one of my most prized possessions. I've I've watched that thing a gazillion times. It's great. And you came over and you apologized and you said, "Hey, I got you a gift." Yeah. So oh, I mean, like you, you did a really sweet thing <laughs> after the. Fact. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how I am, I guess. Well, I'm glad that you have that. I'd forgotten that part of the story. Yeah, I, like, I, I, I knew you did, and I still have the lightning yeah. hopper. Oh, good. I like that part of the story. Oh, then there's the other Tom Brown story. That was another great moment, man. We uh we were in. I remember it was Los Angeles. I don't know why. We, while we were why we were all here, but it was me and Jack Bulware. We were staying in that fucking hotel or the Beverly Laurel Hotel, and we we were oh, doing. Yeah. And we invited you over, dude. Like we get back, it was great because we were like, "Come over to the house. We'll have, we'll have a beer." Because we all love ACDC. Well, no, no, but we didn't know that yet. But I said, "Like, come by the hotel and we'll have a beer." So me and Jack go back, and it's like one thirty-two in the morning. I don't remember where we were before, but we said, "Come by and have a beer." So you all of a sudden, like at two thirty in the morning, you fucking the door. We open the door. You got a boombox, and it's blasting ACDC. Like, all right, and then we literally. We hung around. I don't know. Rock I don't and think roll it, damnation. Yeah, we were just fucking drinking. I don't think there was any coke, was there? Mm -mm. Yeah, we were just no. fucking partying, and uh, and then we were we were at it for like three hours. It was like five thirty in the morning. I had a meeting <laughs> the next day, and at, at some point we were all wrestling. It was it was like a crazy night, and then like the sun was coming up, and we're like, I right, I think we're gonna crash. And then you literally stood there and go, I thought you said we were having a beer. <laughs> I thought the arc of this party had fucking finished itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that good was classic. Times. Good times. Now, but the past couple of years, like I guess I need to clear up some stuff with you because, in the sense that, like I don't know what your life has been like. I mean, I'd heard things like you know he doesn't even live anywhere. He's living in his car. He's going from town to town. Like you, you took on this mythic sort of presence in my mind. Like, what is Rhodes doing out there? What have you been doing out there? Uh, I'm not living in my car. Okay. I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I don't live anywhere. Huh. After Amsterdam, I came to Los Angeles, and I was here for a couple years, but I was always on the road. And um, something about Los Angeles annoys the shit out of me. I memories. I don't know, man. I just I just threw everything into storage, and for the last few years, I've just been traveling constantly. I just spent uh, I spent October in Europe uh, doing shows, and then November and most of December, I was in Asia. Uh huh. So it's not like I'm on the road playing funny bones in the Midwest, right? You know, sleeping in truck stops. I'm, you know, just moving. I'm <laughs> staying in great hotels. And you're in Asia. Yeah, I did. Um, again, booked out of London. There's this fantastic Hong Kong tour. Uh, you either do it. I've done it four times now. It's either Hong Kong and China or Hong Kong and Thailand. I did Hong Kong. I did Hong Kong and, and Beijing. I don't know if it's the same guy. He's, uh, he's, he's John Moorhead. 
Yeah, I, no, it wasn't him. It was some other guy. Great guy. Named Paul. But it was like, did you go to Beijing? I did Beijing, I did Beijing like 10 years ago. But it's yeah. mostly for expats, right? Uh, yeah, but it's mostly for English ex expats. Right. So it's uh, not a lot of Americans do them. Right. But it's, you know, multi-ethnic, multinational, well-educated people making tons of money and they're starving for entertainment. So you got lots of Americans and Irish, Australians. You know, we hit the lottery with the language. Yeah. And um, so I did the Hong Kong China tour. This time it was uh, Shanghai. And, uh, and then I went to Malaysia for a month. Wow. And I did shows. Uh, I played in Singapore and Kuala Lumpur. That's amazing. Slipped over to Cambodia, went to the temples of Angkor. Now, when you go on the road, do you make sure to go out and see shit? I always go out and see shit. And that was another thing. Like, for years I was on the road in the States. You know, when you're playing the same town for like the 16th time you've been to their bookstore you've seen the arch and it's just the same <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> you've gone up in the arch so it's you know that's you know I, I love going to different countries and being able to 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 rock and so yeah and so much of uh of american landscape has been and it's become... more difficult for americans to uh especially like you work with english comics i was working with these guys in china and every English comedian has got a five or ten minute hunk about how stupid Americans are. Yeah. They all just, you know, um, really shit on Americans being fucking idiots. And yeah. then you walk out on stage, hey. Yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm an American <laughs> idiot. I'm going to try and prove the last two guys wrong. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, like, it's interesting when you tour here is that no, the, to find authentic Ameri American experience is like almost impossible. Like, it I, is was just impossible. A, I was just in Sacramento. I don't think I've been there for like five or six years at the Punchline Sack. And you're right there at that intersection of mall and mall. And there's really like, and there's party. The how about Arden Herpes Triangle? Yeah, that's exactly it. And it, you know that fucking hotel. You know everything about it. Nothing has changed. You know, a couple, if anything, more corporate, you know, food outlets have shown up. And, and to find anything with any integrity whatsoever is impossible. I mean, there was this sort of glory of the idea. Like, you know, when I go down south and shit, I mean, I try to go out of my way to find good barbecue, to find like sort of indigenous yeah. restaurants. But you really got to look now. You got to get online. You got to figure out. And then you got to take a shot and roll the dice and see if you find something whereas if you're an american abroad i mean everything even their even their corporate owned stores are new to you yeah like what yeah. the hell is this oh it's a chain <laughs> yeah. that's the coolest shit i've ever seen in my life yeah oh there's tons of them here it's all new but i mean when i was in china the great wall of china did you go i did of course holy shit that really is fucking great isn't it it's amazing and the uh did tell me you went to the part where there's a toboggan slide down. i almost died on it i love that thing i've made it there's a i have a clip on youtube uh or you can find it on tomroads.net and it's uh, me in beijing and then that I filmed going down that slide. It was amazing. I didn't know how to stop it. I almost hurt Chinese people. Like, I was literally on that thing. I was with Russ Maneev, and I almost died because it's like China does not have the same kind of, like, safety mechanisms. There are no safety it's regulations. Just, it's there. basically a rain gutter. I was in you, Shanghai. They had that apartment fire where, like, 300 people died. They got all these bamboo uh -huh. things. Yeah. Instead of scaffolding, they've right. got bamboo scaffolding. It's great. And a, yeah, but that toboggan ride is literally just a giant gutter. Yeah, that you know that you 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 you're in a plastic toboggan that you just shoot down. It's like a luge sled without ice. Yeah, and there's no safety net. There's no nothing, and you're like 100, 150 feet up in some places, right? I thought it was thrilling. Yeah, it was, but my problem was I didn't understand how to work it, and they were yelling in Chinese as I was getting towards the end, and I thought they were saying go go, so I couldn't stop it. And when I hit the bottom, I knocked all the other uh, toboggans off of the track, and I hit some Chinese people. It was fucking embarrassing. Wow. Yeah. 
It was amazing, and I, I've got this clip that I made. And there's, did you go to the street in Be- Beijing where they have everything fried on a stick? I don't know, like scorpion fried on a stick and snake. Uh, I don't know if I did. It's I pretty just, intense. I remember going to markets on the street where I didn't know if they were selling animals for food or pets. That's the thing. I guess that was probably kind of a byproduct of that uh, Mao famine when he mis- you know, moved all these people to work. Yeah, I went in to the Tiananmen agricultural Square. world. Um, that yeah. Chinese people eat anything. Well, I think they always have. I mean, if you look at the menu that that's just for Chinese people, even when you go to Chinese yeah. restaurants in San Francisco, you're like, what the fuck is that? I mean, I used to do a joke about that. Yeah, we I, went to a place in, Sh- in Shanghai where there was nothing. They had like sliced pig lung. Yeah, yeah. And duck's feet. And yeah. You're like, is this like, is. Do you have <laughs> to eat this? Well, well, my joke used to be like, I think if you've been a civilization as long as they have, you're going to get around to eating most shit. It's like, you know, ah, yeah, throw it in. Throw it in. <laughs> Don't throw it away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so now you're back in the states. Now I, I think well, I'm everywhere. I mean, I just you know I just spent uh, um, three months out of the states. I just got back. Just well, what's it? What now in your mind? What's it? What, you know, what's the end game? I know we're all chasing the same grail, and, and that you know we're at a certain age now where we've had a lot of ups and downs. And it, it's it's interesting to me that because I worked with you in, in Seattle, and I hadn't worked with you in a long time. I hadn't seen you in years, and you're fucking kicking ass. I mean, it, in it, there's something, in, and I feel the same way about myself. But there's something almost like unnerving about comedy where it's like, you know, we're ready. We're ready. We, we're well prepared. Yeah. We're trained. We're, we're, now, where do we go? And they're like, uh, I don't know. Sit over there. This good looking kid's going <laughs> to come. Well, I try, I, n- I try and never get jealous of young, good looking kids who get yeah, things we've seen because it I was the young, good looking yeah, kid who got me. tons of things. Yeah. So I never want to be that old guy who's bitter. But uh, as far as what I want to do is. I want to make a comedy travel show the yeah. way um, Anthony Bourdain does the show all about food and right. it's traveling and he meets chefs from around the world. And it's basically my life. And I just filmed, I was in Malaysia for a month. There's a phenomenal comedy scene in Malaysia. Really? And their audiences, yeah, it's only a few years English old. English speaking? Yeah. And you got Muslim comedians, uh, Indian Hindus, Chinese, no Buddhist Christians. Uh, I did a few shows in KL where there was no white people. Huh. And it was exhilarating. And, you know, and the comedians there are great. Uh, you know, they're all earnest. It was like kind of like, it reminded me of when, when we were starting out in San Francisco. Right. Where just everybody's, you know, earnest and trying to impress each other and just looking everywhere for, oh, what's funny about a tree? You yeah, know? yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have hands. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, it's a Muslim country. Yeah. It was great to see... You know, what What are Muslim comedians making jokes about? So uh, I filmed tons. I interviewed a lot of comedians. And uh, and I'm it's basically uh, the pilot for the show that I want to make. And uh, I pitched it to Comedy Central last year. They liked it at first. And then, oh, whatever. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but so I, I got it now and I filmed it. So, but I mean, there's just, there's so many great comedy scenes in Ireland and Australia. You're not mad now until they get some young, good looking guy that you don't know <laughs> doing your show. Idea, right? Yeah. 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 But no, that's a fucking great idea. You know, they're doing stand up. Uh, I've been to Argentina the last, my mother's from Buenos Aires. I've been there three times now. There's a little comedy scene down there. They're, they're, they do stand up in Tel Aviv. I mean, you oh, know, I know, yeah. what, you know, I, I want to know what are people making jokes about in other countries, and then well, isn't it interesting though because like I've talked to people about this. You know, I interviewed Stuart Lee. I was in England. Is that you know they all see stand up as being a uniquely American art form? Do you believe that? Yeah, I think it started in San Francisco with Mark Twain. He gave those funny speeches all the time. Don't you think Mark Twain started it all? Well, I mean, and that's why I always thought San Francisco was. The Jerusalem of comedy. That's I, I why. I, I that's actually, why I moved there when I was twenty-two. Well, that's interesting because of Mark Twain. 
No, because of all the. I always thought a higher intelligence of comedy came out. No, I there. think yeah, I think they're much more supportive. I only put, I only thought about Mark Twain later when I lived there. There's definitely a different style there. You, they, they're more encouraging of unique points of view and and lyrical thinking. You know, waiting. I, I like multi. That's my favorite kind of audience. You know, and that's why I liked Kuala Lumpur so much. It's why I like Amsterdam and London. You, I like multi ethnic audiences, multinational. If you're just playing a bunch of whatever. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever go back to Florida? I do. My family's there. Oh, there? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do some gigs down there, but not too much. Because Florida's its own thing. Florida's its own thing. I country. love Florida. I spent my life running away from there. You know, I couldn't wait to get out of there because I knew showbiz, you know, comedy wasn't happening there. Yeah, All yeah, I wanted yeah. to do was be a stand-up comedian. And now I go back and it's like, you know, 80 degrees at Christmas and palm trees. I'm like, God, why was I so angry? <laughs> well, it's very weird, too. Yeah, my mom lives down there, and it gets a bad rap. But I go there, I'm it's, like, this is great. It's wonderful. <laughs> why was I so unhappy growing up here? It's sort of densely populated, and it's a weird mix of people. You know, you get the sort of redneck, and then you get the Latin, and then you get the Jew. and then you Yeah, get... but I mean, it's like Texas isn't all morons. You know, you got Austin, really smart people, and, you know, Florida's got... Well, it's just of... a very eclectic mix, and it's very densely populated. And I know you, I mean, you, you've had a rough couple of years with the court trials and everything. Did you get through all that? Mm. Uh, Do you not want to talk about that? We could. Uh, I think, I just think it's interesting because, you know, so many people I talk to who have, uh, you know, like myself included, you know, we all grew up a different way, you know, and, and the kind of shit you were going through and, and the amount of respect you had for your old man, I thought it was very interesting, but we don't have to talk about it. We can. Um, it's... Uh, you know, thank God for comedy. Yeah. Because um, I don't know how normal people who have problems deal with their problems. I right. Don't, uh, well, that's what we do for people. And it's and when we can do it for ourselves, it's it's pretty amazing. And I, I you know, I I, it, I, love, I love comedy, given my life to it, but it's just, wow, it was really sweet in this last year period. My father was killed by a drunk driver. Yeah. And my father lived in Orange County. The guy... Um, was a, a he was on air sometimes for um, the Trinity Broadcasting Network. He ran their Christian amusement park in Nashville. And, oh, really? Yeah, and he was um, guy was like three times over the legal limit, doing eighty five to one hundred miles an hour. The dude and, who hit him? Yeah, and my dad was in the hospital for three months. There's a lot of fishy elements to it, where the police report didn't say my dad was taken to the hospital. It just said he had large cuts on his hand. And uh, I don't know, man, you know, because they're such a money machine. Who, the police? No. The, <laughs> um, I don't know, you know, the whatever. Not all Christians are bad. It's And that's another thing is dealing with that. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, just so much of organized religion is scummy and disgusting. Right. And this thing, the guy, it was like the OJ trial, man. He had... Three flashy lawyers, and they. Kept but who the hell was he? I mean, your dad. This is a guy that you know fought in Vietnam. You know, he was a tough dude. He did a lot of good for people, and uh, and then like you know this happens out of nowhere. Yeah, and my and I loved my dad. I yeah. mean, you know he he was the life of the party. He liked to drink, liked yeah. to make jokes. My dad had comedy albums. Yeah. That's the reason I'm a comedian. Yeah, and my like, dad what, drove me to my. Oh, he, my dad loved Pryor. Oh, really? Loved Pryor. He had all a Pryor. And Bill Cosby, Bob Newhart, uh -huh. uh, Jonathan Winters. My dad really, I mean, uh, you know, I used to listen to these records when I was a kid. And just, just the sound of the laughter, I didn't, you know, get all the dirty jokes that yeah, Pryor did. Yeah. But, um, and he used to drive you to gigs? When I started, yeah. My dad drove me to my first open mic night because I didn't have um, a, a car yet. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, my dad took me to see, my uncle did stand-up 
open mic nights for a year in Washington, D.C. when I was 12. Mm-hmm. And my dad took me to see him when I was 12. How do you do And that? that's when I decided, you know, I want to be a comedian. I, you know. I had a similar thing with Jackie Vernon. My parents took me to see Jackie Vernon when I was like 11 or 12. And I don't that's know. why whenever I see a kid in the audience, I always tell that story and I say, look, take a look, kid. This is your this future. Is I do that too. <laughs> if I see a parent and their kid, I'm like, you sure you want to do this? I know. It's, <laughs> you're about to ruin I'm, the I'm kid. not exactly encouraging. I think it's a gift. I think it's great. I mean, there's a lot worse things you could do with your life. But anyway, the guy got off with... Who was the guy, though? Why do you have these lawyers? I mean, what, what was the... I don't know. He's some big guy up in the organization. Oh, um, so he was a guy within the the Trinity Broadcasting Network? Yeah. No shit. Yeah. And he got off. He had this big legal team, and it was just... So, you know, having my dad die was one thing. He was buried in Ar- Arlington National Cemetery. That was pretty nice and heavy. It was like a movie, you know, the 21 Gun Salute. Bold in the flag and, and then you forget they're going to play Taps, and I was already crying. Yeah. And then, um, But then the trial came, and then to see that guy walk out of that courtroom that day was, was like having my dad die all over again. Yeah, I remember. And, you know, and I've always, you know, been really cynical about, the, you know, the states and made jokes and stuff, but I always thought, you know, our legal system yeah. kind of gave everybody a fair shake. Utter, complete horseshit. There's two legal systems, for the rich and one for the poor. If it would have been some Mexican kid or me, yeah. somebody without a big legal defense fund, they'd be, they'd got, it would have gotten 20 fucking years. And what and and what happened? Because I saw you in the middle of that, and it was just like you were you were in sh- you were just shattered. And uh, what, what and that was it. What happened ultimately? I mean, what that was it. The guy, you know, he just got a little slap on the wrist. God damn it! Exactly. And and now, do you do you have any peace over it? Mm, somewhat. I mean, it really you're seething with anger, and you know you want you know just like true grit, man. You just want to fucking put the reins in your mouth and charge and shoot somebody yeah but uh the thing because i've i've uh i've, I've seen the guy uh, what's available of him online i don't want to say his name um but the thing that that ultimately gave me peace this this epiphany that i had about five or six months ago was that guy will never be the preacher that i am right that guy will never be able to speak truth and touch people's hearts and just, you know, twist ideas to make people laugh and just have the effect on humanity that I'm going to have. Yeah. And that is, you know, that's finally started to wash away some, you know, the the cleansing, if you will. Right. So, um, yeah, that's, you know, it's what it's it hasn't been a year since that trial. But, yeah, the last six, eight months, I'm I feel great. Have you addressed like, do you dress about uh, anything about the legal system or have you found yourself like, you know, taking on jokes that you might not have before? Mm, I've talked about my dad's death, but the, the actual, that's still ruminating. Yeah. You know, because like I, I found that too. And he, like, it, there's a weird feeling. I mean, even cause I mean, we come from like different backgrounds and I don't, you know, I, you know, I come from sort of a middle-class Jew background, but there are moments where you realize that you know, despite the the organization of, of of justice, that you're fucking all alone. That you know, really, like you know, when it comes right down to it, even if shit was about to go down, I mean, when are the cops going to get here, really? Right. I mean, they come pretty quick. I mean, <laughs> depends what neighborhood you live. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you do you have a firearm? No. Oh, did no. you ever? Were you ever that Never, guy? Never. No. I, me neither. No, you know me. I've always been against guns. Yeah, and um, well, there was that great. But I have gone to a lot. That was back in the San Francisco day. uh, The the British last year because of handguns in England, there were 
eight deaths yeah. last year because of handguns. In Canada, there were 16 deaths. Yeah. And in the United States, we had 28,463. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, we don't tolerate as much bullshit here. <laughs> yeah. So go to Canada if you want to run your mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, I, uh, but in Alaska, somebody took me skeet shooting. Yeah. And I was utterly amazed at how phenomenal I was at it. Uh, really? Yeah, that, that pump shotgun. And, yeah. and uh, I could never shoot a living animal. But I will fuck up a clay plate. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Kill that fucking clay pigeon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why have you bought a gun now? No, I, I don't. You know, <laughs> I, my fear is that like I'm more afraid of the you know if I if I ever end up with a woman living in my house again that that's when that gun will be used by her on me. That was always my angle right. on it. That you know I'm I'm prone to emotionally charged arguments. Like, and I don't think that I would ever pull a gun on anybody. But if someone I was arguing with knew the gun was in the drawer, then. <laughs> I don't know how far they might go. So I and also I don't know if I would uh I don't know if I would shoot somebody. My dad's got a lot of guns, you know, and he he wanders around with a gun cuz he's out of his mind. Uh Yeah, but so like you said, some people can some people have enough self-control where they can own a gun. Yeah, why well, I, I think that a lot of people think that. Yeah, but still like the the handgun deaths, I mean, I'm sure a lot of those deaths were by people who thought they had a lot of self-control, but they apparently couldn't either control their gun or that that moment where it was fascinating to me that that uh, I read a study about about suicide that was very interesting that that they uh, were doing a study about suicide here about handgun suicide primarily, and someone cited a study in England that there was a period in England where the suicide rate was was high and the primary uh, way that people killed themselves was that they they the gas that was a national the natural gas that they used for ovens and it was a specific type of gas and they used it countrywide so the popular way to do it given that there were no guns there would they'd stick their fucking head in the oven and within minutes they'd be dead from this particular gas but when they changed the type of gas they used the suicide rate went way down so the person who was doing <laughs> the study on guns realized that you know the possibilities of somebody moving through the feelings that were suicidal were were pretty good if they didn't have access to a means to kill themselves in the house. Right. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. That is fascinating. But, you know, I was maced in Paris. For what? Just some guys tried to rob me. Oh. And they don't have guns there. Right. And that's like a way they, they mace you and then they jump on you and beat you up. I got away. Uh, what would you and, do, run? I ran like a bitch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. W- held my arms and I ran. And, uh, you know, I was maced in the city of love. I think there's something beautiful about that. No, no shame in running, I've always thought. <laughs> no. How many were there? Two. Have you ever been in that situation before where you like, you know, because I, I don't know, you seem like a fairly diplomatic guy, but I mean, have you ever been confronted after a show with guys who are like, I'm going to kick your fucking ass? No, I had an incident with a guy uh, in Holland once that was stupid. Yeah. But, yeah. What happened? It's just shoving and, you know, it was, it was stupid. It was just stupid. Were there women around? Mm, no, it was just, just some, it was typical heckler guy you know come wanting to come up and hey buddy yeah <laughs> you like you smack him around like a bitch while you're on stage with every comeback line you've got yeah, and yeah. then oh now he wants to come up and yeah you know talk yeah, to yeah, you yeah, after yeah. the show and that's never going to be good yeah so now uh you got a girl i have a lovely girl yeah and she, um, where she live she lives in holland but uh we're gonna get married soon really and uh yeah when is that going to happen? I don't know. I'm just tired of letting good women slip to my fingers, Mark. You ready? You <laughs> yeah. ready to get married? No, no, I'm terrified. How old are you now? 46? 44. I'm, so, I'm sorry. It's all right. Just I'm a 40, few days ago. I'm 47. I know, buddy. You're a little you look younger good. than me. Thank you. You look good, too. <laughs> We're kind of beat up, but we look all right. I think we did all right. We did all right. So what? you're going to get married. 
Yeah, she's a good woman, and um, you want to have babies? I do. Yeah, I do. And where are you going to settle down? You think? I don't know. We're going to travel. She's a gypsy. <laughs> Is she? <laughs> no, she. Uh, she's. She likes. She loves comedy. She loves hanging out. She's a photographer. She does good work. She looks at America in a different way than an American. And uh, yeah, I've got loads more international stuff coming up. Like where? I'm going to do this comedy festival in Perth at the end of May, and then I'm going to go do Bali and Singapore and Kuala Lumpur again. Go back to Sydney. Now you when, played in Sydney. I did. I like Sydney. I had a good time. I'm going to Melbourne this year too. And I did. Nice. Uh, I've started to go international a little more. I, you know, I don't. My problem internationally is like you know because I'm sort of heady and, and you know a little more neurotic than than a lot of Europeans are willing to tolerate. You know, it's hard for me to uh, to figure out exactly what what parts of my bits work, and it usually takes me a little time to get adjusted. Like I was just in Kilkenny, that was a little challenging. Uh, How was that? I, I love Ireland. I've never done. Kilkenny. I, I think uh, Ireland's beautiful. Well, Kilkenny's like. It's weird because it's like a festival that happens once a year. And I, I imagine a lot of the audiences are not regular comedy audiences. So it's sort of like doing like a one nighter, you know, that that gets like 500 people at a hotel ballroom, you know, once a month here. So it's that kind of feeling, you know, they're not necessarily hip. But, you know, by the end of the week, you know, by the by, you know, one or two dark nights of the soul of like, you know, I can't ever go abroad. Again. <laughs> you know, I kind of I know like I, 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 the, your Edinburgh experience, I thought was horrendous. I know. And I thought they, they would have really adored you there. I think it was just the, the way I went there. I was on a double bill. I didn't really know what I was getting into. You right. know, and also I was in the middle of the divorce. I was fucking miserable. Oh, it was ugly. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of uh, ex extenuating. Is that what you call it? Is that what it is? I, I would like to do Edinburgh. I've always wanted to do it. It's uh, a month commitment. bro. I know. And it's big time. And then I've done Melbourne before and it's the greatest experience ever. And it feels like summer camp. You're with comedians and everybody. But that's a close. You're system. making all these great right. friends and you're all hanging out and it's the most relaxed. But Edinburgh like you know month. anybody and, and then i've so I, i've seen the same comedians that were really relaxed enjoying themselves in melbourne a complete nervous wreck in edinburgh about ticket sales and what's well, a clusterfuck because you're up against a thousand shows a day there's a show every 10 minutes and there are shows like literally you know some shows are being held in the people's flats i mean you know and everyone's flyering it's just a complete weird-ass clusterfuck of theater comedy you know and 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 buskers i mean it's just it's it's, it's daunting i mean I, I i think everybody should do it once that's why i would like to do it i had uh the worst set of my life in edinburgh and um it's funny i'd like to do edinburgh this year because this will be like the the 10 year anniversary of it it was and I wasn't I, of your failure. Yeah. Okay. I had I had just gone to Edinburgh to check it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because uh, I was interested in. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And um, it was August two thousand and one. Keep yeah. in mind, a month later, the twin towers go down. Everybody loves America. Yeah. This was not that. Uh, th th this yeah. it was this all American show hosted by uh, Lewis Schaefer. Remember Lewis Schaefer? Oh no! It's yeah, a, that's already and a bad every, story. Everybody like hated this guy and people had gone there specifically to heckle him. I still hate him. So, uh, and a lot of people do. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it was all these American comedians hosted by him and it's just <clears throat> this rabid anti-American rally and it was at the Gilded Balloon. And That's he, where I was. And he's, everybody's getting heckled. It's the, it's the lamb to slaughter and Rich Hall, my good friend, was supposed to close the show and he has laryngitis. 
mm. all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And he asked me if I'll do his set for him. And I'm like, you know, cocky and like, oh yeah. man, they're going to love me, you yeah, know? So go. I'm like pounding beers. I'm just getting excited and I'm watching all these comedians Doing die. The Tom, Tom Rhodes pace. <laughs> I'm like, fuck it. I am going to fucking, I'm going to fucking rock this place. So, um, I walk out and the sound man fucked me. He played God Bless America as I walked out. And it was already this anti-American yeah. rabid audience. Yeah. And they lost their minds, man. People, fucking go back to America. Fuck you, America. Yeah. And I, I couldn't even get started on the microphone. I had this really serene moment. I sat down Indian style and I lit a cigarette. And I just soaked it in. I can still see They're the, yelling at the spittle coming out of these people's mouths. And the like in pointing slow, like in fingers motion. in slow-mo. Exactly. And, you know, I stood up and I tried to... Couldn't even get started. Really? And it was that bad? It was that bad. Like deafening yelling and- Oh my God. Couldn't even get started. That's insane. And so uh, that was like my Vietnam. I'll still wake up some nights in like yeah, a sweat. Yeah. And oh my God, I'm still on that stage. And I can see these <laughs> yeah. people. Um, so about whatever it was, five or six years ago, I was in Atlanta. Uh-huh. And I'm playing at the Punchline. And I'm staying at the Hilton- Sitting in my underwear, waking up, having some coffee. I turn on CNN. I know that. And helped. Edinburgh's on fire. Yeah. The center of Edinburgh is on fire. It's yeah. engulfed in flames. And they show the map of Edinburgh. And I knew that the gilded balloon was right there, engulfed in flames. And I stood up in my underwear and, in a hotel room by myself and went, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, payback's a bitch. <laughs> But I don't know. I heard that place is kind of notorious for, uh, you know. Fire? Just heckling comedians. I know a lot of English comedians who won't do it. Well, I did the, the thing about it with me was that there was this idea that, you know, you make your mark there. And then um, you keep going back until you build a following. And I'm like, I'm never going back. Just, <laughs> you know, I, this, I don't want this no, following. Yeah, I, you know, it sounds great for someone else but me. But what have you found in terms of, of because what's happened now is that all of these countries, there was a while there where, where Americans were the king of the, of the world. Right. Like, you know, they, they, everything was, American stand-up was all there really was. And if there were local comics, they were sort of like, you know, uh, doing American-style comedy, but not that well. But now all of these places have indigenous comedy scenes like you were saying i mean malaysia places i would never even imagine but certainly ireland you know they all have their own you know tv world and they all have their stars so like americans are really just you know we're you know, we're getting you know our just desserts in a certain you know the it's true uh, that we go there and they're like you know well, who are you now we've got our own guys but what do you what do you say? But it's like kung fu. You it's to effortlessly use someone's negative energy against them. Yeah, yeah. Is the idea, you know? <laughs> I mean, you can really work that to your advantage. Uh-huh. And I, I think it's really thrilling to, you know, when you go to like I go to England, you know certain things well, aren't going to work. Right. And then you gain observations. I you know, it's it's exciting to. Well, what do you find about in, in the sense of camaraderie, you know, internationally? Cuz I like I I have a personality that people misread as arrogant or or detached and really I'm just socially awkward for the most part. I like one or two people, but I always get it gets hung on me that like, you know, he thinks he's this, he thinks he's that. I think if you made DVDs of that Lightning Lightning Hopkins half hour and, and passed just it out to people, <laughs> I'd be all right. But no, but what do you do you find that, that you know, in the, in terms of the community you know, you know, you're part of the international comedy community. You know, like I am not really, and and like as it compared to like American sort of like, because here it's like, you know, there's cliques and there's little groups, but it seems like that that in Europe it's a little more open. They're not, you know, it's not as clicky. 
you know, that everyone's sort of like, you know, they get off, I'm doing all these different places and going these different places, and they seem a lot more Yeah, certainly, like, England is definitely a meritocracy as far as comedy goes. I mean, you know, you great Australian, Canadian comedians. I was talking to the guy, a Canadian comedian in Montreal last year, and he was like, I want to move to New York, can you give me any advice? And I said, dude, if you're Canadian, move to London. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, there's yeah. so much work there, it pays great. Right. Why go, uh, like, why go to New York there. and hassle with the fucking immigration papers? Right. Oh, yeah. Well, they bust my balls when I go to Canada now, because I got turned away once, because I didn't have the right papers. Mm. And, and ever since then, I, I got to go to fucking immigration and wait an hour or two and be processed. But yeah, it is, it is, there's a great worldwide comedy community, and there's a lot of great comedians all over the world. I had, well, yeah, I interviewed Stuart Lee, who I, I was turned on to by a young comic. I here. met him in Melbourne. I did Melbourne with him. He's uh, he's spectacular. Wonderful guy. Yeah, and a great comic. Very yeah. unique. So you... Uh, yeah, and he's always records his live stuff in Glasgow because it's such a rough audience, so, yeah. which well, I think is brilliant. Yeah, he seems to like the uh, the, <laughs> the tension of it. But he's got, you know, he's got some real steel, you know, steel balls, that guy. I mean, you know, to do, you know, because he's one of those guys, it's like, this is what I do. Some of you aren't going to like it. But I'm not going to change gears. And, you know, and he taught me something really amazing. Like he, he took it at some point when he started, he quit for a while and come back. And at some point he started to feel more empathy for the people that didn't get him than aggravation, aggravation. Like he'll see somebody out there who just doesn't get what he's doing. And he's, he feels bad that they, you know, this was not what they expected. <laughs> and, uh, and now there's nothing he can do for that guy. And that guy's going to be upset about his evening. Wow. And, and it's really a better way to look at it. That's a brilliant way to look at it. There was a, a, a female comedian. Um, I forget her name. She had worked at the comedy store. In London, or, I'm sorry, the comedy store in L.A. as a door person. Mm -hmm. And she was started out in Houston, and I never saw her get frazzled after a set. And she said, yeah, I worked the door at the comedy store, and I would always see these comedians get off stage and beat themselves up mentally and, oh, and be unhappy about something. And I always swore I would never do that when I started being a comedian. <laughs> yeah, just, well, I, well, I wish somebody had told me that when yeah. I was <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But knowing me, even if someone told me that, I'm like, well, you're just a fucking idiot then. Yeah, how can you yeah. not beat yourself up? But, you know, there's no shortage of that at the comedy store. <laughs> the, the beating yourself into annihilation and then being angry about it and then bringing that up on stage. All right, Tommy, so I think we did good. I think we did wonderful, buddy. It's great to see you. It's great to see you, too. Oh, yeah, and hey, what about the uh, the Dave Attell tour idea? We didn't... The Attell, Stanhope, <laughs> Rhodes, Marin? Attell said on your program he wanted to do a show, a tour with me, you, and Stanhope. That would and be great. And then you and I got excited about it, and you and I were making calls to right. them, and then they eventually were like, nah, they didn't want to give up their solo audience thing. Right, and well, then it kind of fell away. But you and I were like, "That's a great idea." Well, no, it would be fun, and I think you and I think the same way. But those guys have built, you know, Stanhope has got his own methodology of of how he books himself and what his markets are, and, and Attell's got agents, you know, who you know who do who decide what he's going to do. And now he's on package tours with the uh, with bigger names. It seems like he's doing that. And I guess it just really came down to the numbers for them. Whereas, like me and you were like, "Well, it's different because it's fun." Yeah, yeah. who cares about numbers? <laughs> like, I think we can get a big place and have a good time. And they're like, "Well, you know, I I already do that market." And, oh, all right. I guess you're you're doing this for a job thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what? You're what, trying to get rich yeah. off this? I really? thought you guys said you I'm doing have it a for beer. healing, man. Yeah, yeah. We're trying to help ourselves <laughs> and others. Who knows? Maybe it'll happen. I love those guys. We'll see what happens. You in touch with Doug? Yeah, of course. He's in Tucson, though, huh? No further. Bisbee. Oh, that's right. He's got Way a, down there. He's got a compound, huh? Yeah. Have you been down there? Yeah, I've been down there a few times. It's really cool. Is it? Yeah, yeah. It's cool because there's no uh, homeowners association, so he's painted it like Dr. Zeus. It's great. <laughs> it's, 
He's a fucking trip. All right, man. Well, it was good talking to you. I love you to death, buddy. You too, bro. Well, that's it. Tom Rhodes. I am you know, coming to you semi-live from a hotel room in Austin, Texas, where it's the first sunny day. I'm, I'm here busy digesting barbecue. Go to WTFPod.com. Get on that mailing list. Kick in a few shekels. Buy a mug. Buy a t-shirt. Pick up an app. You need an app for your Droid, your iPad, your iPhone Touch, or your uh, uh, i one of the other things. Apps. Good apps. People are digging the, uh, G- the WTF apps. You can also go to WTFPod.com. Choose the no iTunes option for the podcast, and you'll be taken to our uh, our server page where you can get a premium app for your computer desktop, where you can download all of the uh, uh, the current WTS, but you can also stream every episode from the first episode. If you're sitting at your desk trying to look like you're working, that might be an option to you. To you. How about for you? How about I'm in a hotel room? How about I'm tired? How about I'm displaced? How about I'm at the Laughing Skull in Atlanta, Georgia, tonight, Thursday, the 18th through Sunday? How about that? Come to that. I've said enough. <laughs>